This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. For a few few weeks, and I mean, this, God gave me a verse earlier this week that I'm going to get to at the end of this message. But but we're going to talk a minute tonight about the availability of God's power. That's our title is the availability of God's power, because most people will acknowledge that God is able. They just don't know if the power is available to them, you know what I mean? And most people would acknowledge, well, yeah, duh, God can do anything, but I just don't think He wants to. And, and that's something that we've got to get over. And I've shared this story many, many times, but, but, you know, my whole life, I've, it's been just drilled into my head since birth that God is not only able, He's willing, and, and Jesus Christ is the same as He's always been. He didn't change. And so I've always been told since I was just a baby, that it's God's will for me to have a good life. It's God's will for me to be healthy, whole, you know, and, and all this stuff. I mean, it's just, that's been an undeniable fact. That's as, that's as much truth to me as the sky is blue. I've never known any different, ever. That's what, I mean, I've always been taught that since birth, always. And, you know, I, I've shared, but, you know, the first time I came across somebody telling me different was at a vacation Bible school I went to. You know, you've heard this story, so it's not new, but, you know, we, this little vacation Bible school, we lived out in the country, and so mom was like, oh, they're having a, you know, out of this, this cute little country church, and so she sent us to BBS out there, and I remember, you know, we went, and, uh, and, you know, we're Pentecostal kids, we've just always been very aware of the power of God, and that if Jesus did it 2,000 years ago, he didn't change, you know, if someone changed, it was you, you know, he had, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13. And so, so we get there, and this lady, she, she's reading the story. I believe it's the story of uh, the, 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 the lame man that they raised up to the roof and cut a hole in the roof and lowered him down. And then Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And the man got up and walked. And she's telling this story, and all of us kids are like on the edge of our seats like, wow, oh my gosh, that is, oh, that is, that is exciting, man. And then this, God bless her soul, she looks like she's about 140 years old, but she, she closes this Bible and goes, but kids, you know that God doesn't do that type of thing anymore. And I mean, and all these little kids, you can just hear a collective, oh, jeez. You know, everybody was just so disappointed. But I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm like, no, no. I said, yes, he does. He does do those things still. You know, and, and I mean, maybe I was disrespectful, but... At that point, I had been healed of leukemia, and so you're kind of too late to tell me that God doesn't heal or do miracles because I've seen it, and that's just what I've been taught my whole life. I, I don't know any different. And, and so, um, but I want to show you our main text tonight, and it's Ephesians chapter 1. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to talk about the power of God. Is that okay? Everybody okay with that? Even if you're not, we're going to do it, so... Nah. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 20. And you could spend a lot of time in the epistles, okay? This is stuff that's very specifically written to the New Testament believer. I mean, the, the whole thing's for us, okay? But right here, Brother Hagan always talked about, I mean, this is, this is really, really, really important for a New Testament Christian is these epistles. And Ephesians is a very, very deep book. But Ephesians chapter 1... We're going to look at verses 19 through 20. And the Apostle Paul said, 
I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Now, that is a profound and heavy statement right there. He says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And so there's a lot wrapped into those verses right there. But he says, I pray that you will understand, that you will just comprehend, understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. That's exciting stuff right there. It doesn't say, I pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power that was available to the Old Testament prophets. Elijah, you know, Elisha, man, those guys had it made. They had power available to them that you, you, now don't get excited. That's not for you. That was for them. But it's cool to understand that. Now it doesn't say that. It says the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Well, anyone in here tonight, you believe him? Then you qualify to experience the incredible greatness of God's power because it's for those who believe him. And it's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. It's, 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 it's available to us. It's on the inside of us. It's the exact same power. You know, I see, you know, different churches and religions, you know, trying to find, you know, we think we found the same wood that Jesus was nailed to. To be honest, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in the power that raised Christ from the dead. And I don't have to go look for the wood or the nails. Who cares? The power that raised him from the dead is on the inside of me and it's available to those who believe him. That's where it's at right there. The death was one thing, but the resurrection, that's the full story right there. And that's what I'm interested in, okay? And so we're going to look at three things about the power of God tonight. So let's do this. You ready? Ready to hear about the power of God? All right. Number one is this. It's real. The power of God is real. This is, again, this isn't something made up. We, you know, we've got better things to do than make up stories and read fairy tales. This is, this is real stuff. The power of God is real. And so I want you to turn to the book of Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Amen. And we're going to look at a story here. Luke chapter 8. And uh, this is the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Is everybody familiar with her? So this poor lady, she, uh, Matthew tells different details of the story that Luke didn't, didn't mention, but, but Matthew tells us this woman, she had well, been sick for 12 years and she hadn't gotten any better, but she just kept getting worse and worse. And she spent all of her money on seeking medical attention. You know, she went to doctors, probably tried new experimental things, just everything. And instead she spent everything she had. And out of all of that, didn't get any better only got worse for 12 years. And so I'm guessing this is a pretty bad situation to be in. If you've progressively gotten worse for 12 years and you've been bleeding nonstop for 12 years, hello, that is, that's bad news right there, man. That's awful. And so here she is. She hears about Jesus and, and she hears the stories and the things and she decides, I, hey, I, this, is, this is it. I've tried everything else. And some of us in here, we've tried everything else. And then, and then you get to the place where I've, I've, it's got to be Jesus. And so here she is, Luke chapter 8, uh, verse, verses 43 through 46. 
And so it says a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe and immediately the bleeding stopped. So Jesus in one second did what doctors couldn't do in 12 years. One second. And Jesus was even unaware that this was going on, you know, and one second, one touch of Jesus did what all of her money, all of the doctors, what nobody could do out of 12 years. Jesus did just like that. Why is that? Well, look at this. Uh, Verse 44, verse 45 here. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master. This whole crowd is pressing up against you. There's hundreds of people that have touched you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. I mean, there's about ten sermons in that verse right there. But let's just tackle two topics, okay? Jesus notices, I mean, there's tons of people touching and and reaching, but he notices when somebody does it in faith. And the next verse, he says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. But but notice that he, the, the power, the healing power went out from Jesus, right? And Jesus noticed it. There must have been some sort of a power surge right there where Jesus himself was like, whoa, what was that, man? Something just happened. And Jesus himself, and I mean, I don't know every Bible verse, but that's, these are the ones that, I, that I'm aware of where Jesus himself physically noticed that power left his body, where Jesus took note, like, man, power just left me. Isn't that incredible? That the power of God, she reached out for it, and it was so real that it came out and just took a hold of her and did in one second the bleeding immediately stopped. She immediately had relief. She immediately was made whole. And Jesus says, daughter, go. Your faith has made you whole. And there is nothing better in this world than being made whole. When you are made whole, it's complete. There's nothing broken. There's nothing missing. She was made whole because of the power of God. The power of God is a real thing. This is not fake. This is real. This really does exist. And this lady, she got a hold of it. Now, remember, Paul said, I am praying that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. And what he's saying is, I'm praying that you'll get a revelation. Okay? Because she didn't just have a mental acknowledgement that Jesus has power. Because this is where way too many of us go wrong. Right here. And any, almost anybody I asked, if I said, does Jesus have power? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. They mentally agree with that fact. But you've got to get it out of your mind and into your heart. She got it out of her mind. She was beyond just saying, well, God can do anything. She got it into her heart. And she literally believed that the power of Jesus was so great that it could heal 12 years worth of suffering, pain, embarrassment, shame, denial, rejection from 12 years. She got it from her mind and into her heart. And almost everybody I know, they any Christian, they've got it in their mind that Jesus has power. But a whole lot of us, we don't really have it in our hearts just yet. We're not fully convinced and we're not fully persuaded. And she was totally convinced in Matthew's account. She said to herself, if I can just touch, the, if I can just touch 
Jesus. He doesn't have to talk to me. He doesn't have to acknowledge me. He doesn't even have to know I did it. If I can just touch Jesus, I know that's my answer and I'm going to be made whole. That's the power of God. And she got it from her mind into her heart, into her spirit, and it literally happened. And she was healed in one instant. She got the revelation that God's power is real. And so... Everybody in here would say, oh yeah, I know it's real. And it takes more than just mentally acknowledging that God has power. It take, he, that's nice. Thank God. You know, thank God. That's good. But it takes more than just you acknowledging in your mind. It's got to get into your heart and into your spirit. And so the power of God is real. But I want to show you a story in the Old Testament. Because if we're going to talk about the power of God, we're going to at some point have to talk about Elijah. And Elisha, because it's just incredible. And in fact, my dad shared this story this morning, but he didn't turn there, so I still have permission to use this. So let's look at 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to look at the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Does everybody love this story? Do you know this one? Well, you're about to hear it. All right, 1 Kings chapter 18. And so, to catch you up on what's going on here, there's a very wicked king and his terrible, terrible wife. Okay, there's King Ahab, and his wife was a mess, man. She was nuts. She was crazy. She, her name was Jezebel, and she was evil. Man, she was evil. She hated God and the things of God. I mean, she was just the worst you could get. And so, here she is, and she's having the prophets of God killed off. And so Elijah is the last prophet of God in Israel. And there's 450 prophets of Baal. And if you don't know who Baal is, he's a, he's a little toy cow. Little, little fake little toy cow that people bow down to. And, and man, he has no power. No power at all. You could, you could go drop kick Baal and, I mean, just punt him 50 yards and he's gone. But here we go. We got uh, Elijah and, and the prophets of Baal. And so... Uh, Elijah presents a challenge to the king because Elijah's very bold and he's like, okay, if, if your prophets and your guys, if they're all that, let's just have a little contest here and see who's the real God. We'll just settle this once and for all. And so he says, let's, we're, we'll both build an altar. We'll both get a sacrifice and, and whoever's God can bring down fire from heaven first and, and, and consume the, the, the sacrifice. That's the real God. And so he presents the challenge and they're like, done, let's do this. There's 450 of us and one of you. Let's do it. Challenge accepted. And so he says, okay, you boys, you can pick the very first bull. There's two bulls we're going we're gonna to sacrifice. You guys pick your bull. So they go out there and they, you know, do what they did. They, they get it ready for the sacrifice. And so then he gives them the chance to go first. All right. So 1 Kings chapter 18. And we'll look here at verse 26. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. So they're, they're screaming, they're crying, they're dancing. And about noontime, and you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys, I appreciate some good trash talk, you know, in my sports if I'm going to, I'm totally fine if you're, you know, if you can back it up, you trash talk all day long. And so Elijah now goes to the part of the game where we talk a little smack and it's hilarious. So, so here we are. And so about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder. 
He scoffed. For surely he is a God. I mean, he's not fake, right? He, he is a real God. He's got to hear you. And so perhaps he's daydreaming or maybe he's relieving himself. Dude, <laughs> Dang. he said that he just accused Baal of being on a potty break. Maybe he's away on a trip or maybe he's maybe he's asleep. You need to go wake him up. Maybe he needs to be wakened. And so he's just out there trash talking and all this stuff. And they're just they're probably getting more and more mad. They're kicking dirt and throwing it in the air and screaming and crying and and dancing. So they shouted louder and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. Isn't this sick? They're trying to get a hold. And there are religions today. Every other religion, it's all about you trying to, to get to God. You know, people walking on hot coals and cutting themselves, trying to make their God happy. But our religion, our faith is our God got cut. Our God was beaten for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. He did it for us. Amen. But anyway, that's beside the point. So so they're out there cutting themselves, stabbing themselves. They're bleeding, trying to make their little toy cow happy. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still, there was no sound, no reply, no response. Why? Why was that? Because Baal was a fake toy cow. He wasn't a real God. There's no chance in the world that Baal was going to send fire out of heaven because Baal is not a real God. And so here they are. They're doing everything that they can to try to figure this out. And, you know, there's a lot of people today still searching somewhere. There's got to be a power. There's got to be something. There's got to be someone that can hear me and answer me. And here they are doing the exact same thing that these guys were doing, trying to appease the gods. But listen, it doesn't work that way because they're they're praying and trying to worship a God that is powerless because he's not existent. He was made with their hands. And so here they are. And I'm sure Elijah is just Elijah is just loving this. He, you know, he's laughing, having a good laugh, talking some trash. But then it's his turn up to bat. It's his turn to go to the plate. And here's what happens, starting at verse 33. We're going to see the power of God in action. And so it says, Elijah gets up. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bowl into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. Now, that doesn't sound like why would you do that? Because it's really hard to catch wet wood on fire, Elijah. This doesn't make any sense. But he's going he is going to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jehovah is God. Amen. And so he let them go first. He let them pick the wood, the bowl, everything. He let them have every excuse they could possibly have. And so he's like, okay. Just go ahead and, 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 and get my wood wet. And after they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. He had dug a trench around his altar. There was so much water that it was soaking wet. The trench was filled. Everything was soaking wet. And at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. O Lord, answer me. 
Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. And so he, he is totally sticking his neck on the line right here. What if nothing happens? What if? I mean, the wood's wet. There's, it's, there's a trench. He's got, standing in the middle of a little pond here with his, with his altar. What if nothing happens and he has gone out and stuck his neck out? He will be killed by the end of this day. But look at this. He says, God answer me. Verse 38. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench man it burned the rocks this isn't just this isn't your normal fire here this isn't a, a campfire you're making s'mores on this is stuff i mean this is the fire of god it says and when all the people saw it they fell face down on the ground and cried out the lord he is god yes the lord is god notice how quickly their tune changed when they saw the power of god <laughs> I mean, a few minutes ago, they were worshiping the toy cow, and they, they see this, and they're like, oh my, they fall, they fall face to the dirt, man. He's God, he's God, he's God, you know? I mean, the power of God will answer some questions. The power of God will settle a lot of questions that the hard-hearted have had in their mind. Because you can't argue against, what argument do you have against that? What, what could you possibly say about that? Could, you couldn't go into a theological debate. Well, I don't believe in the power of God. What are you? You're a special kind of stupid, aren't you? <laughs> you know, you just saw this with your own eyes, man. And, you know, I know in my life, you know, I, I've, I've come across people that want to debate and everything. And that's fine. We could debate the Bible all day long, whatever. You could do that. But one thing that you cannot debate me on is the fact that I was sick with leukemia, I was crippled, and I was dying before everybody's eyes. And one day, the Spirit of God picked me up off a hospital bed, and I started running. And I hadn't walked in months. And I started dancing. You can't, that happened. And that's, you know, you can debate me on the true meaning of John 3, 6. Do you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? or just? Who cares, man? All I know is this. I was dying with leukemia, and Jesus healed me, and the power of God touched me, and I felt it. You can debate that all day long, but you're not going to change my mind. It really happened. It really, really happened. And so, you can debate theology all day long, but when you see the power of God like that, you're going to see people fall with their face to the ground and say, I changed my mind. This is real. Amen? And so, the power of God is real and you were far too late to tell me otherwise you can believe if you want to or not that's your decision but i don't want to live a powerless life i don't want to i don't i don't want to uh, have some faith that's powerless and, and and can't help me out in my time of need i serve a god that is well able to take care of all of my needs. And I've seen it with my very own eyes. And so there was not an accident. It wasn't just coincidence that I jumped up and started dancing. And at the exact same moment, my blood was healed. Like, who would have thought of two things at once? It's a, no, it wasn't a big bang happened. And then, you know, no, God healed me. God healed me. It's a lot easier for me to believe that than to believe that, you know, a lot of the other stuff people try to get you to believe. My goodness. All right. And so the power of God Number one, it's real. Number two, it's available. It didn't cease to exist. 
it's still available. And so you notice again, uh, Ephesians 1, Paul said, I want you to understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. For us, that means it's available for us. The incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. So let's turn back to the New Testament here. We'll spend the rest of our night there. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We're, we're talking about the power of God tonight. Luke chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 13. And so there's, there's a lot of different uh, examples in the four Gospels that are just like this story we're going to read here. So we could have picked any of them, but we just went with this one. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. And so uh, this is the story of a man with leprosy that approaches Jesus for healing. And I mean, hey, if you had leprosy, you would appreciate this story, man. <laughs> That's no joke. That is no joke. Luke chapter 5. Verses 12 through 13, it says, In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. And so, he didn't just get this, he was, he was going to die soon. This was an advanced case of leprosy. Leprosy kill you, man. It's for real. And so this guy has an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and you can make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. He said, I am willing. Be healed. And instantly, here it is again, instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Wow. So there's a, there's a, there's a teaching in this right here. This guy had no doubt that Jesus was able to. To heal. He didn't doubt at all. He even said, Lord, if you're willing, I, you could heal me. If, if you wanted to, you could do it. He had no doubt, just like most people that I know, they don't doubt that God has the power to do it. Okay? And so this guy was no different. Lord, if you're willing, you could heal me. But what's not written there, but what he was insinuating was, I just don't know if you're willing. I don't know if you want to or not. And that's the way most people pray their prayers is, Lord, I know you're able. I just don't know if, if you want to. What type of a, of a father wouldn't want their kids to have good things? And some people are like, well, you know, that, that's the Lord's way of teaching you something. You know, get you a little sick there and, you know, make you miserable. That doesn't teach you anything, man. That makes you miserable and that stinks. That's all. Have you ever been sick? I have. I've had cancer. I didn't like, I was little. It stunk, man. I didn't like anything about, the only thing that I learned was about the power of God when I got out of it, okay? And so, Jesus, in this story, and in every other New Testament story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you will not find a single time when Jesus said, nah, not you. It's not my will to heal you. Nah. Sorry, man. And I, I, I count at least eight other stories almost identical to this one that I've, that I've found, but there's others. Where somebody said, Lord... If you are willing, you could heal me. And eight out of eight that I read, every single time he said, No, I want to. I'm willing. Be healed. Every single time. Every single time. And so the power of God is available. Hebrews 13.8. You've got to know this verse. You, this is a verse that you need to have memorized as a New Testament Christian. Hebrews 13.8. Hebrews 13.8. 
So if it wasn't God's will for us to have access to the power, why don't we have at least one example in the Gospels of him, of him telling someone, no, I, I, don't, I don't want you to be better. I want you to suffer. I, I, it's my will for you to suffer. Not a single time, not one. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, if Jesus didn't want people miserable and, and downtrodden and depressed and sick and, and broken and beat up, if Jesus wanted people to be healthy and whole in the four Gospels, but he doesn't right now, would that mean that Hebrews 13.8 is a lie? I don't get it. I mean, there's a contradiction here somewhere. If Jesus, if the Jesus of the four Gospels, 100% of the time, every single time, every single time, said, no, I want to heal you. I want to do this. Come on, get over here. Every single time he wanted to, but he doesn't now, then Hebrews 13.8 is not true because Jesus changed. Jesus changed if he doesn't want you, if he doesn't want you to be healthy, whole, have joy, have peace, have provision, all the things that he offered people in the Gospels, if he doesn't want you to have them, then something somewhere changed. And it couldn't have been Jesus. It had to be us. And it had to be our stinking thinking and our beliefs. Because Jesus didn't change. He's the exact same as he's always been. But what Jesus has always done is he's always been a creator. Okay, Hebrews and other books tell us that he was in charge of the creation of the world. Jesus, the son, the creation of the world. And so Jesus, since the beginning, has been a creator. He's been a restorer. He's been a miracle worker. He's been one to bring peace and hope and joy and provision and all this stuff. He has always done that since the beginning. And it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today when that was written, and forever. Jesus didn't change, guys. We did. We're the ones that started saying, well, man, I I don't know. I, I don't get it. I just don't know. Jesus didn't change. He's always he's doing what he's always done. He's doing what he's always done. And so I know it's a lot of times people are like, man, if I could have just been there and like those guys, what a benefit they had. They got to they got to see Jesus and, and they got they got to. I mean, they are so blessed and lucky that they they got. Why? Why do they have it better? Jesus, Jesus didn't change. What, why did they have it better than we have it? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus that healed that guy of leprosy. It's the same Jesus that healed me of leukemia. The same Jesus that brought me peace when I was depressed. The same Jesus that gave me joy in the midst of my sorrow. The same Jesus that provided my needs when it looked like I didn't have any money at all. The same Jesus that gave me my children, that gave me my wife, that gave me my church, that gave me... He's the same one, man. He didn't change. And so you're, I mean, you, you believe what you want to believe. That's your right. But you, again, are way too late to tell me that Jesus has changed. And, oh, he used to do that, but he don't, he don't do that no more, man. That was back for them back then. Well, then how come he's done for me what he's already done for me if, he, if, if he's not the same? He is the same. He is the same. And there were people in the Gospels that, that didn't get healed. That, that did happen. But it specifically says Jesus couldn't do any mighty works in that town because of their unbelief. It didn't say, well, Jesus was running short on power that day. He forgot to charge himself. He didn't have it. No. Every single time that somebody didn't get it, and there's very few instances of this, but it says Jesus couldn't, he didn't do any mighty works in that town. He couldn't because of their unbelief. In fact, it says he marveled at their unbelief. 
And so Jesus wants to take care of you. And so one of the stories that, that I come up with, another time that I've seen the power of God in my life is this. And again, I've shared this story. Maybe you know it, but, you know, here we go. So when I was... Uh, being treated for leukemia in the children's hospital, um, I, I'm getting all these blood transfusions. I've still got some marks here, and I've got, you don't want to see my back, but I've got scars on my back from spinal taps and everything. And so through all of this, you know, um, it was painful, man. It, it really hurt really bad when you're almost four years old, and they're jabbing spine, you know, things up your spine. It stinks. It hurts. It's awful. And so... Here I am, you know, bawling my eyes out, you know, screaming. And, and you know, my dad, he, he has his, his best friend's name is Gary. Now, Gary, he comes out here sometimes, and Gary is a man of faith. He got a hold of this stuff where he didn't just acknowledge it and said, well, you know, God could do anything he wanted to, I guess. No, he got it in his heart. And he said, no, Jesus is willing. He wants to do this for this kid. And so one night they're jabbing me and poking me and I'm screaming bloody murder. And, my, and Gary comes up and, and he talks to dad and, and, and he says, well, what, what can I do? What can I agree with? And dad said, I, I fully trust that God's going to heal him. But until that time, I just don't want him suffering in this pain. And Gary said, you know what, I believe in my heart that we can pray right now and through the rest of this, he won't feel any pain. This is my story and this God's honest truth. This, this happened. So they laid hands on me and they prayed and Gary said, I believe in the name of Jesus. From this moment forward, for the rest of these treatments, this child shall not feel a needle even touch his skin. And God Jesus as my witness for the next, I mean, long time, even after I was healed, I had to go back and get blood drawn all the time. I didn't feel a needle touch my skin for years. And you can think I'm making that. I am not making that up. They could jab things in my spine. They could take all the bags of blood they wanted to. I didn't feel a thing. There's kids all around that hospital screaming their heads off. And I'm just laying there like, hey, let's go get a Dr. Pepper after this, you know. I'm serious, man. And I feel bad for everybody else. I really, really do. But I'm talking about all, all I can. I can't speak for anybody. I can just speak for me, okay. And in this instant, they agreed in the name of Jesus. And I didn't feel a needle. I didn't feel any pain for years after that. That's the power of God. That is the power of God. Amen. And so later on, in, when I was in Bible college in Oklahoma, I started getting these back pains, you know, and I had this really bad lower back pain all the time, man. And, and it was it was really, really bad. And so they had this evangelist come to church there at uh, Rama. Raymond Bible Church in Oklahoma. And, and so he's like, I, I'm just, anybody that has back pain, get up here. And so I'm like, man, I've got back. So I get up there, and I had been in constant back pain for months. This dude lays hands on me, and I felt the power of God going to me, and the back pain was instantly and totally gone. And that was in 2005, I believe, and it hasn't come back. That's like 12, I didn't realize that. That's been 12 years now, and I haven't had any of that. Why? The power of God, man. The power of God. It's real. It is real. And I've seen it with my own eyes. All right. And so the third thing we're going to say tonight is this. So number one, it's real. Number two, it is available. And the third thing is this. You have to activate it. 
You got, and you're like, well, how do I activate it? Well, I've got, I'll tell you how. Just hold on now. All right. You've got to activate the power of God in your life. And the first way you do this is by the name of Jesus. By the name of Jesus. The name that is above all names. The name of Jesus. Mark chapter 16. Let's flip over there. Mark chapter 16. And there's a lot, a lot of uh, passages where Jesus told us, just use my name, man. Just use my name. You know, Matthew 18, <clears throat> he said, in my name. You know, when two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Amen. So, but we're looking at Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, we're going to look at verses 17 through 18. This is known as the Great Commission. Jesus has resurrected and he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. But he's having some final words with the disciples here. Mark chapter 16, verses 17 through 18. <clears throat> And Jesus says this, he says, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe they will cast out demons in my name. They'll speak a new language. They'll speak a new tongue. So I'm in the you know, King, well, the new living, the, the new King James is really good in this. But he says they'll be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They'll be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed or they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And so Jesus said, all of this is in my name. They'll cast out devils in my name. You're like, well, I've never seen that. I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen the devil cast out. You kidding me? I've seen it, man, in the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you, there is power in the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is nothing greater than the name of Jesus. And he said, these signs will follow those who believe. He didn't say, these signs shall follow you twelve. And no more. Just just you 12. Well, Judas is already dead, so really you 11. No. I mean, I don't know where people get this theology. But right here, he said, these signs will follow those who believe. What we read in Ephesians 1, he said, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of, God, greatness of God's power to those who believe. There's that phrase again. Jesus said, go out, anyone who believes in my name, you go cast out devils, you speak in new tongues, lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. You take up serpents. I haven't done that one, and I probably won't do that one. He said he could handle snakes with safety. That's one of those. I'm like, cool, Jesus, I take you at your word. I never need to see that one. But anyway, oh, man, I am not a snake guy. I'll tell you that right now. But anyway, that's totally beside the point. But he said, take up serpents in my name. Take up scorpions. Eat anything deadly. It shall not harm you in my name. Wow. And he said, this is for those who believe. And Paul said, I pray that those, you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power to those who believe. And I already asked you, are you those who believe? Amen. All right. Then this power is available to you. It's available to you. Okay. So number one, how do you activate the power? Well, you've got to use the name of Jesus. Okay, you're not going to go out there and, and use your name or try to make something happen on your own. You're not going to get anything done. You're going to be like those boys in the book of Acts who try to cast out devils in the name of Jesus, who, who Paul preaches. They're trying to use Paul's name to cast out the devil. And it says the devils jumped out of there and beat these seven guys up and left them butt naked. And they ran, they ran down the street, okay? That is embarrassing. But why? Because they were trying to use Paul's name to cast the devil out. No, it's the name of Jesus. 
And here's what, here's everything that I'm getting at tonight is this. Right here, you've got to get this. Okay? How do we activate the power of God by using the name of Jesus? And number two, by consistently believing it. Here's where I see failures. Uh, uh, I, I see so many, so many uh, uh, failing, okay? It's this, okay? We, again, we acknowledge in our minds, yes, God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He can do anything and everything. Hallowed be thy name. That's good, all right? Yes, that's, you're on your way. But it's got to get into your heart. And what I see way too many people getting is believing it one day, but then the next day not believing it. Okay? We're talking about consistently believing the power of God. It, it, it's it's got to get consistent. You've got to get rooted and grounded into this. And here's this verse that I want you to see tonight. Colossians 1.23. This is, this is what I'm getting at. This is the point of everything we're saying tonight. Is Colossians 1.23. Colossians 1.23. And this is, again, Paul writing an epistle to New Testament believers. I mean, every part of the Bible is for you, but these epistles, I mean, this is especially very, very specifically written to New Testament Christians, Jews, Gentiles, anyone. This is 1,000% totally for you. No, nobody in the world could debate this. Colossians 1.23. And it says this, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. This, is, this will change your life right here if you'll just get these two sentences. He said, you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news or the word. And so I've, in my personal life, I've been inserting the phrase or the word, the word in there. And so I've been saying to myself, you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the word. Because way too often, myself and others, we all have, man, we get a verse in here, right? We hear a verse on Sunday morning and we're like, whoa, yeah. You know, I can do all things. And we go running out those doors. We're skipping it. Whoa, yeah, we got it, man. And then Monday morning comes and we're like, oh, my gosh, I don't know, bro. I don't know. I just don't know. I'm not I'm not feeling it today, man. I don't. This is bad. This uh, is it's bad. And it's getting worse, man. I just I don't know. And so we get guilty of. The assurance that we heard when we heard the word, we get this assurance on Sunday. We're like, oh, yeah, I'm more than a conqueror. Then Monday comes and we drift from the assurance, don't we? And he says, you've got to quit doing this. You've got to quit doing this. He says, you've got to continue to believe the truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the word. And so that's, that's it. That's the answer that so many of us are searching for tonight is this. Right now we're motivated. Right now it's good. We're, we're, we're feeling it. But tomorrow you're, you're probably not going to be feeling it. And that's why the New Testament, Paul also uh, admonished us. He said, we've got to walk by faith, not by sight. Because if I walked by sight, man, I'd be all over the place. 
I'd be a mess. I'd be terrified when it doesn't look like it's working. But, but Paul right here tells us, no, you don't drift away from the assurance you received when you first heard the word on this. You've got to stand firm in it. Even when it doesn't look like it, you've still got to believe. Even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't sound like it, taste like it, smell like it, even when it doesn't seem like it's going to happen for you, you've got to stand firmly in it and say, no, 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 it is working. And other people will say, oh, he's a fool, man, he's in denial. And you say, no, no, man, I've got the word of God. I've got this. And you've got to stand firmly and don't, I love that phrase, don't drift away from the assurance you receive because I mean maybe you've got it but too many times in my life I've been totally assured one day and then the next day I start looking around and I'm like oh I don't know right now I, I don't know I'm not feeling it I'm not seeing it I'm not, I'm not I don't know right and I start to doubt the next thing you know man it, it, it's gone it, what, what God was wanting to do it, it slipped by me because I, I, I drifted I, I didn't stick to that word that I got and Colossians 1:23 is changing my life even as we speak and I pray that it changes your life too when you get the word of God on an issue you have got to stick to your guns this phrase come hell or high water no matter what, you've got to stick to your guns and say, no, I walk by faith. I don't walk by sight. I don't care what the, I don't care. It, I don't, it doesn't matter what I see. I am walking by faith and not by sight. We've got to get the word and our hearts so settled on the matter that we're facing that even if the answer doesn't come in one day or two days or a week or a month, doesn't matter. No, I, may, I don't care. It's, it's coming. It's on the way. It is happening. This is going to happen. You've got to stick to it even when it doesn't look like it. And, and, you know, the last thing I'll share is this, Josh, you can head on up there. But Brother Hagen, one thing that I'm learning from him is any time that he prayed for somebody, he, w- he wouldn't just flat out just come up and pray for somebody for healing or anything unless he knew that they had the word in their heart on the issue. And so he wouldn't just show up and say, oh, yeah, yeah, be healed in Jesus. No, he would get his Bible out and say, okay, let's look at some verses right here. It says right here in Isaiah 53 that himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. And, and it says, by his stripes you were healed. Do you believe that? And he would get the word in their hearts. And in his meetings, okay, I'm talking about a very successful man right here. This isn't some, you know, somebody that didn't have a powerful ministry. We're talking about very, very powerful ministry right here. In his meetings... He would sometimes do meetings for several weeks at a time, but he wouldn't pray for anybody until Friday night. He would preach to them usually two times a day, morning and night, five days in a row on whatever the topic was before he'd pray for any of them. And then when they really got it in their hearts, oh, I see that. God wants me well. God wants me blessed. God wants me to have joy. God wants me to... When, when they really got the word for real in their heart, he'd say, all right, let's pray right now. Let's do this. And the results were, un, I mean, just outstanding. And in fact, one denomination did, uh, they did a research poll on a, a lot of the evangelists back in the 50s. And they found that of all the people that Brother Hagen laid hands on and, and, and that did, they walked away from the meeting and reported getting healed. They followed up with them later on. Like 85% of those people, six months later, were still 
totally 100% healed. And a lot of the other preachers prayed for people, and they, they would get something real quick, but a few days later they'd lose it and be sick all over again because they just, they, you know, they felt the presence of God all at once and something good happened, but then they didn't have the word in their hearts. And so whenever a few days later they started to doubt, I don't know, man, maybe, I don't know if anything really did happen. I'm, I'm not sure they drifted from that assurance because they didn't get the word in their hearts. And so to activate the power of God, the first thing is you've got to use the name of Jesus. And the second thing is you have to consistently believe the word of God. And you have got to get these verses in your heart so much that you can quote them that you eat sleep and breathe the word of god and when this starts happening these are these are these are where the results come this is where we start to see the power of god and manifestation manifestation is through his name and it's through his word you put these together oh my gosh you get the power of god and you see miracles happen the power of god's available but you got to believe that it is amen all right let's go ahead and stand up together tonight Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.